You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh, Lord, that we might seek you and live. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's talk about judgment. Uh, The lectionary doesn't give us much of a choice today, and so we're going to dive right into Amos chapter 5. I'm going to be skipping around a bit in Amos to give it some context. So if you'd like to follow along, that's page 767 in your pew Bibles. Amos is one of those really hard books of the Bible to find, even for me. And so that's page 767. Uh, Amos is a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs by trade. He's a part-time prophet, and he wants you to know that. And yet his message is no less important. At this point, uh, the people of Israel had been divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was known as Israel, and the lower kingdom where Jerusalem was was known as Judah. And Amos is prophesying, is preaching to the northern kingdom of Israel. And he preaches at a really wonderful time in the life of the people of Israel, or so they think. Uh, They're experiencing unknown prosperity since the time of Solomon. For years they had been oppressed by the Assyrian kingdom to the north, but their influence was waning significantly. Uh, Even though Judah had Jerusalem, Israel had agricultural lands, and so they began to develop those lands, and great wealth was a result from it. And so because there was so much wealth and prosperity in the land of Israel, the Israelites believed that this was a blessing from God. Surely God is blessing us. It's obvious. Then along comes this shepherd and dresser of sycamore figs who says, No, this is not God's blessing. In fact, you are getting wealthy at the expense of others. Your wealth has been laid on the backs of the poor. Indeed, Amos would say, Israel, you are in rebellion. And God calls his people to meet with him. We see in chapter 4, verse 12, Therefore, Thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. How do you meet with God? How do you prepare for a meeting with God, especially if you think that in your religious life everything is going swimmingly? And all of a sudden, the apple cart has been upset. Well, most people think that they prepare to meet with God and that they meet with God in religion, in a temple, in a church, maybe even a cathedral. You may, in fact, meet with God in such places. That's if God is present and chooses to meet you in such a place. But we see here in Amos that Israel always met with God in his word. 
Chapter 5, verse 1. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. God meets with them in his word as he had done since the beginning. And God offers his people one last chance of salvation. He says that they will not meet that that he will not meet them at their shrines at Bethel and Gilgal, for that is the religion of the unrighteous. Now Israel was very religious, but we read throughout the Bible that religion doesn't save you. And what is religion? Religion is any effort or attempt that you and I make to gain standing before God. It's thinking that we bring anything to the table that might endear God to us, that might gain his favor. Outward actions, outward deeds, words spoken with our lips but never uttered in our hearts. And that's exactly where Israel was. And Amos pours scorn on their religion. Israel was very religious, but God hates religion. God speaks of their feasts, their solemn assemblies, their burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, fattened animals, and their music, and he is repulsed by them. In verse 21, God says, I hate, I despise your feasts. That's strong. Just because they were going through religious acts didn't mean that God had met with them or that he is pleased with them or even pleased with what they're doing. It's easy to get caught up in the same way that Israel did to try to outwardly conform with maybe even with what God wants but inwardly to remain far and distant from him. As Jesus said that the Pharisees were whitewashed sepulchers, that outside they looked beautiful and sparkling, and yet inward were full of death, rot, and bone. It's an easy trap to fall into, even in our own traditions. Someone once complained to me about how mortified they were that an acolyte was wearing boat shoes. That's religion. The religion says that person is dressed inappropriately. The gospel says, praise God, that young man is here to serve God in his church. Isn't it remarkable? Isn't it wonderful that a teenager would not only want to come to church, but actually would want to be a part of the service? God was not pleased with them or us because of our unrighteousness. For righteousness is the true religion of Israel. And yet, the Israelites turn from God. O you, verse 7 in chapter 5, who turn justice to wormwood, to bitterness, and cast down righteousness to the earth, In verses 10 through 12, they hate him who reproves in the gate 
and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. There is a tremendous, even insurmountable gap between the religion of the Israelites and true faith. They understood religion, but they didn't understand the gospel. Outwardly they were conforming, but inwardly they were still just as lost as they were before. Now there never has been a time in the history of the church where we can find more faithful preaching than we do now. And yet now as there has ever been, there's a gap between the hearing and living out of our faith. Israel kept on with their religious observance while not loving their neighbor. And God says to them, this cannot be. For to love God is to love your neighbor. And we know it. And we feel the disconnect. This is why in our service when we say uh, we need to love God with everything that we have, every fiber of our being, and love our neighbors as ourselves, do we turn to our neighbor and high-five them? No, what do we say? Lord, have mercy. And many would say, ah, but I love verse 24. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's my prayer. But be careful what you pray for. The Israelites were doing so well that they thought, surely the day of the Lord is coming. And we're ready to present everything that we have to him to show, them, show him just how religious we are. And indeed, they will meet with God. But it will not be the kind of meeting that they anticipate. Verse 18, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. It's a day of justice. A day where every wrong will be repaid where our lives will be put on display before a righteous and just God. Well, with that thought in mind, are we ready to meet God? You know, if you were to receive an invitation to meet with the governor or the president or the queen of England, what would you do? You would get ready. You wouldn't put on your Lululemon yoga pants and Chacos and, and shuffle off to Buckingham Palace, would you? Now the great irony here is that you can meet God in your Lululemon yoga pants because what? God's not worried about your outward appearance. He's worried about your heart. He looks upon your heart. And not what our heart has to offer. If we would go through so much trouble to meet with the Queen of England, how much more should we be ready to meet God by putting on His righteousness? We can't escape the judgment 
Amos says, look, this is what God says. You can't get away from it. It's like you find out how God's judgment is going to go down, and it's like a man fleeing from a lion only to have a bear eat him. Or getting into the safety of your house and leaning against the wall from exhaustion, from running from God's judgment, only to be bit by a snake in your own home. God's judgment is unavoidable. So what hope is there in any of this? Amos tells us in chapter 5, verses 4 and 6, Amos says this, God speaking here, Seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. Amos is saying that God is giving you an opportunity to actually turn away from your religiosity and turn and enter into a life-saving relationship with Him. Seek the Lord and you will live. Jesus spoke a lot about this issue of living and and life and, and what it means to have real life. And to not be crushed by God's judgment. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John writes, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And John sums up his entire gospel by saying this. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Seek the Lord and live. But you see, God's judgment is still real. Justice still demands retribution. But we find that the justice of God falls not on you and me, but falls upon Jesus. That all that we deserved, all that we earned, He takes upon Himself, and He is judged, and He is crushed on the cross by God's judgment. We feel the disconnect, don't we? And that's why it's right to say that heaven is populated with sinners and the unrighteous. Hell is populated with the self-righteous. If we think that we bring anything to the table on that great and terrible day of judgment, 
we will feel the full force of God's justice rolling down upon us like waters and his righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. But seek God and live. Seek the Lord Jesus and live. Because when you are in Christ, do you understand that even the judgment day has been redeemed? Because when you're in Christ, you need not fear this day. You can actually look forward to it with eager longing. Why? Because that's the day when you can and your heart can cry, Come, Lord Jesus, because he's going to take everything that is wrong in this world and make it right. Where there is injustice, he will bring justice. Where there is poverty, he will bring wealth. Where there is cancer, where there is death, where there is disease, where there is broken relationships, where there is estranged children, God is going to reconcile all that self to him through his son, Jesus Christ. And yet, how does that happen? Not by working harder to love your neighbor, but seeking after God himself and throwing yourself upon a merciful Lord Jesus who has died for you and for me. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.